Hello and welcome to our new podcast series, the RICS World Built Environment Forum Insights. I'm Tim Smith, the Global Director of the World Built Environment Forum, and over the next weeks and months, we'll be speaking to experts across urbanisation, digital transformation, the natural environment and markets and geopolitics to take a closer look and make sense of these megatrends which will shape the world for decades to come. Whilst also looking at how the built environment is leading and can continue to lead the way in building a more sustainable and equitable future for all. In this episode, our Head of Sustainable Urbanisation, John Krauss, speaks with Arab Senior Engineer Richard Boyle to explore how CEOs and their board members can make sense of the circular economy in the built environment. Hello and welcome to the World Built Environment Forum uh, podcast on the topic of the circular economy. And today's podcast is going to be looking at what the circular economy means from the point of view of decision makers and the board and CEOs. Uh, Amongst all that uh, noise we hear about sustainability and responsible business and so on, uh, how do we make sense of the circular economy in the built environment? And to help us today, we've got an expert from Arab in London, who is Richard Boyd, senior engineer. So welcome to you, Richard. Good to have you with us. Morning, John. Great to be here. And of course, you've done a lot of work with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation on uh, uh, on the circular economy in the built environment, um, particularly in construction. So we'll, we'll, we'll be covering a lot of that in the next half an hour or so. So let's start with the basics. Um, Richard, you know, can you just tell us from a CEO perspective, what is the circular economy? Very simply. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's a great place to start. I guess, I mean, at its simplest, the idea of a circular economy is that it's an economy that creates business value from natural resources in new ways, in different ways. Um, just to elaborate that in a little bit, what that means is it's a, it's a set of approaches, be they business strategies, design strategies, or, or resource management strategies, that help you add or grow your business in a way that decouples it from how you use resources. So um, we can get to a position where the, the, the future of the business is secure in terms of its growth or its strategy, but it's also then decoupled and therefore de-risked in terms of its exposure to the, the climate uh, emergency that we're seeing, the destruction of habitats, the sort of the growing pressure around uh, resource use and um, environmental degradation that we're seeing globally at the minute. Thank you. And if if I was to sort of ask you, you know, we hear a lot about ESG, sustainability, climate resilience, social impact, responsible business. Where does circular economy sit uh, amongst those those many important themes? Yeah, I mean that's that's a question we get asked a lot at the minute as well. I think it's a really hot topic for for many decision makers trying to make their way through um, and navigate this sort of increasingly complex landscape. For us, we see circular economy as a tool and an inspiration, not necessarily an end in itself. So whatever your organization's ESG strategies or KPIs might be, um, be they around carbon, around jobs, around waste, etc., circular economy gives us some of the tools, maybe around business strategy or around how I interact with my customers that helps me rewire the business in such a way that we achieve those outcomes while continuing to grow the business, not as an add-on, but something that's core to um, how the business creates value and delivers services. 
So that's very interesting. It's about how the business can adapt and deliver for clients and adding value, which I think is something that CEOs and board members are really going to have at the front of their mind, particularly in the current economic situation in the in the post-COVID economic um, downturn. So let's talk about the business case then. What is the business opportunity here? Um, well, I think that the, the, there are long running and then there are short running sort of business opportunities here, particularly in construction and real estate. There's definitely a feeling in the market that we're all holding our breath around COVID. Of course, that's sort of the main preoccupation for many business leaders at the moment. What is the implication going to be? What are going to be the perpetual impacts of the pandemic on how occupiers use space? We keep seeing headlines around some of the big occupiers in the city of London, for example, looking to to sort of reappraise the way that they manage their workforce, the way that they manage their occupy portfolio. So at the moment, there's there, there's there's a lot of anticipation, or, or we're waiting to see how that falls out. What a circular economy idea, or one of the one of the inspirations it gives us, it's is it prompts us to think about how our assets retain their value and maximize their value over time. And that prompts us to sort of think about what future challenges might be. And so if you were thinking about some of the shocks, the stresses, the resilience issues that we see like pandemics, a circular economy lens in real estate or construction would have us thinking about what those what those potential future events might do to our asset value and how do we design in such a way that our assets can adapt or flex if or when those events take place. So if we think that through for the COVID situation, if workplaces become less in demand, there's obviously a clear market signal for those buildings to shift into other asset types to preserve the value rather than going through very expensive demolition and reconstruction cycles, uh, redevelopment cycles. And so we'd be looking to see, well, a circular asset would be able to be an office, but it would also be able to be something else, a residential building with sort of a minimum amount of additional investment or effort put into it. Um, And we've seen one or two examples and quite particular examples of that happening before with things like the um, downtown Manhattan post 9-11, as the banks and a lot of the major occupiers moved to Midtown, a lot of that commercial real estate in downtown Manhattan shifted into the residential sector with mixed uh, results. The permitted development agenda in the UK at the minute also seen mixed results um, with that. So I think that's one big sort of immediate COVID response opportunity um, from circular economy. The, the other sort of medium term or non-COVID related ones are really around starting with sort of improved um, and extended customer relationships. So another key idea of circular economy is trying to move away from providing products to providing services. And so maybe thinking more about a supply chain business that currently relies on its cash flow and its and, and staying afloat on that sort of point of service or point of sale revenues. If we think about you get a downturn caused by a pandemic or by a recession or whatever it might be, you're exposed there to that cash flow drying up pretty quickly. What a, what a service-based circular economy business model suggests instead is that you would enter into a subscription agreement with your customers where they would pay you a sort of a regular cash flow contracted over 
maybe five to seven years, sort of, of the length of a of a lease in, in the construction industry, um, in order to uh, to provide a service, and your products are then designed to make provide that service as profitably and as efficiently as possible over the subscription period. To give an example of that, the most mature example, the most well-known example, is um, Signify, the, the lighting service provider from Philips, Dutch electronics company. They have, for for many years now, at, at Schiphol Airport, um, at the National Union of Students in London, um, been providing lighting as a, as a service, where they retain ownership of the, the lighting system and the customer pays them a subscription in order for their spaces to be illuminated. Um, that makes business sense because Philips or Signify are incentivized to provide a very efficient system that performs very well and uses, little, uses as little energy as possible. And it also makes kind of circular economy or environmental sense because Signify are therefore, they keep responsibility for those products they've made and they are incentivized to make sure that they last as long as possible. And they're also incentivized to design them so that when they come back from that first customer, they're able to efficiently remanufacture them and supply them to another customer with the latest technology in them for another seven years, and then another seven years for however long it can it can last. So it really helps us align the business objectives with the kind of the reuse, the repurposing, the remanufacturing um, considerations that most people start with when they're thinking about circular economy. Thanks. So, so lots of really great examples then, this idea of moving to the as-a-service business model rather than products and how that's enabling the, the, the proper maximum use of a resource that wouldn't be possible under previous business models. So clearly there's a potential there for disruption in the market and there's a clear potential there for greater um, creation of value through, through different business models. So that's that's the business case and the business opportunity. What's the regulatory outlook? So, for example, um, how are governments looking at the circular economy? Are they introducing tougher laws on the reuse of material? Are they thinking of doing that? What, what's the pressure and the incentives coming from, from lawmakers and regulators? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's an emerging area. It's accelerating. Um, and, and spreading really fast at the moment. So it's kind of hard to keep up with. The sort of the early adopters would be the company, countries you might expect, like Denmark, they have a circular economy strategy um, using a metric of, of gross national product per tonne of material use. So quite like a, a, a crude but, but direct material productivity metric, um, looking towards the 2040s, the mid-century trying to, to, to boost the resource productivity of the country. The Dutch, the Netherlands, they have a circular economy law asking for the Dutch economy to become 100% circular by 2050. And Amsterdam has responded to that and they have a um, strategy asking for resource consumption, virgin material consumption in Amsterdam to have um, per, economic, per unit of economic output by 2030. Um, but we're also seeing sort of maybe some of the less surprising um, less less immediate or obvious countries also adopting it. Taiwan is a real leader on this, and there's been a huge amount of work um, there and, and in the city of Taipei as to what circular economy might mean for an island nation um, like Taiwan with a significant manufacturing base. China has been writing circular economy into its five-year plans for um, 
uh, the past one or two iterations of that and have a net uh, memorandum of understanding with the EU on circular economy as well. So there's a lot of activity happening um, there. And then finally, I just sort of say in um, also in Australia, uh, Victoria, um, the Victorian government is 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 looking at its major infrastructure authority and that pipeline of infrastructure that they're working on um, and starting to bring in um, policies around recycled first trying to reuse and retain materials in Australia um, and, and really trying to change how that they're delivering sort of what is going to be a pretty major infrastructure program. So definitely like a real global picture of, of emerging um, regulatory movement in this. So some very interesting things. They're very, what you might call ambitious um, legal requirements emerging in, in Northern Europe, but also a lot of innovation in Asia and Australia. Um, does this mean that in the UK, to, we're, we're not seeing the same level of ambition there or, or other examples in the UK of, of regulatory uh, pressure? No, so the, U, the UK is, is, is among the leading uh, countries in this space. So DEFRA has a waste and resources strategy. DEFRA, the sort of the, the, the ministry responsible for, for circular economy. Um, and that's looking to sort of eliminate avoidable waste um, it's looking to boost resource productivity using similar metrics to the others. Um, we're also seeing London as a city um, bringing a focus to, to construction and built environment as well. So they've, the new London plan is requiring all referable uh, developments in the capital to produce a circular economy statement. And that's a planning requirement, a planning statement that um, requires developers to demonstrate how they are considering the the use of materials on their projects um, asking developers to demonstrate how they are considering any assets or, or buildings that exist on a site they need to demonstrate that they've considered retaining those assets um, and are able, required to demonstrate you know why they would be demolishing them if they're not retaining them and, and, and how that, that those demolition arisings are then managed so there's sort of there's a there's a whole um process around the circular economy statements now being introduced into the London planning system as well. And that, that's that's very interesting here because obviously if you're sitting on the board you're, you're the CEO of, of a developer you need to know about this because these are extra levels of compliance that are coming in if not necessarily at the national level certainly at the, at the local authority level and I guess what happens in London is going to have a big impact on, on the requirements elsewhere in the United Kingdom over time. In terms of actually making a real-world impact with with the circular economy, where is the biggest impact to be made? So, for example, is this a question of, you know, let's reduce and reuse concrete in particular, or is it um, materials like glass that need to be reused, or or, or is the impact perhaps more in um, component recycling. Yeah. You mentioned the lighting modeling at Schiphol Airport and elsewhere. Where's the real impact to be had for the benefit of society? I think the starting point is building on that point around the, the London plan and the circular economy statement is, is, is asset retention and reinvention, refurbishment of existing assets over a sort of a demolish and reconstruct um, cycle. That's currently being as we've looked at by Lon the London government the architects journal has a campaign at the moment called retro first there's a lot of signatories joining it from the sort of design community at the moment 
um, which is asking government to make policy changes around VAT and planning um, to actually make refurbishment more attractive over, over reconstruction. So I think if we can get to a position where if it's possible and if it's viable, we're able to retain more, then, then that's sort of where the big easy wins um, start to come from. Once we've kind of assumed that, then I think where the market is most mature, and I think one of the things we've got to bear in mind here is if we're talking about business models more as well as specifying and design of materials, we need to make sure that the supply chain is offering these services to us and it's not necessarily available in all geographies and in all all um all all systems for a building, for example. So let's look at where it's most mature. And that at the moment it's most mature in, in places like interior fit out and in places like services, anything that consumes energy. So in addition to Signify, there's Mitsubishi in the Netherlands is also offering vertical transportation as a service. So they will retain ownership of the of the elevators um, in a building and you pay for them per use. Uh, and then they take them back at their end of their of their life. Um, we're, we're seeing some models coming in around um, furniture leasing, even in the retail space. John Lewis just last week was announcing that they were going to start um, providing furniture as a service almost um, to, to retail customers. So I think that interior fit out and building services area is, is the next place to start. And then I think building fabric, facades and structures becomes trickier, of course, and it's less mature. But this is also where our big carbon impacts are. So if you're an organization that's thinking about a net zero carbon commitment or, or thinking about what your decarbonization strategy would be as a, as a developer business, then thinking how you can really work with others and work with your supply chain to, to get into the sort of the difficult areas of high impact materials like concrete, cement, steel, glass and aluminium that, that form your structure and your envelope. That, that, that's definitely an area where we need um, more focus and more collaboration. So clearly a very broad range of opportunities there. And, and you can imagine every area of real estate and construction being impacted by the introduction of circular economy practices. But if we were to ask the question, which areas of business are going to need to adapt the most or perhaps adapt uh, the quickest as a priority? Where would you see where, where would you see that happening? Um. Again, again, there's sort of a little bit of a, a, a step approach here. I think my, my starting point is um, the, the, the business models we use to make space. So again, a lot of the circular economy conversation to date in the industry has really focused in on the materials, the waste management, these kind of things. And, and that, that is very much part of the circular economy. But what is also part of this conversation is how do we use space? We've seen again with COVID has demonstrated that we have a huge amount of space that's not necessarily utilized that well. And we get a shift in working practices, all of a sudden it, it seems way oversupplied. Um, so I think we've seen a little bit with the flexible office movement over the past five to seven years, people like WeWork and, and, and others producing similar um, systems that new technology, new, new digital platforms, that kind of thing give us a way to manage space and re realize revenue from space um, in, a ways, in ways that we didn't have before. And using those platforms to really maximize the utilization of, of the spaces we've already got 
is 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 a huge business opportunity i think and really something that can um help us achieve some of our outcomes around business growth without necessarily consuming resources so but moving beyond that we're given you if you're if you're using all the spaces at your disposal to the maximum possible utilization you're still going to be building new buildings and i think getting the brief is then critical um, getting the brief right is critical to make sure that you get the right outcomes. You want to make sure your design teams are answering the right kind of question. Um, and I think the kind of questions that you might be thinking about will be sort of the, 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 the core characteristics of a building that determines functions and what it can be used for. We talked earlier about how you can change a building from one use to another. Or is your brief getting your design teams to create a sort of basic infrastructure in your building? core positions, floor to floor heights, floor plate depths that would enable a shift in a way that would provide high quality spaces, whichever use that building is put to. And I think the third thing, um, third area of business that really needs to start changes is, is procurement. So we've already talked about business models being different, the supply chain offering different business models, the development and real estate side offering different business models. If you're going to if you're going to sort of go in as done a subscription route rather than a product as a service route rather than a just just buying the systems and operating them yourself you need to make that decision really early in a in a, in a project because you cannot it's very difficult to have a have a, a fair and, and competitive procurement process when some of the competitors are operating on a completely different basis to the traditional ones you might bring them in earlier to decide so that they can influence the design so that they can maximize the efficiency of the system that they're putting in. Um, so getting the rethinking the procurement, rethinking what gets procured when during the development phase of a building, I think is a really, really important um, thing to get right for this to start to scale, for this to start to really realize the commercial opportunity it presents. Um, and I think if we get those three things right, the space, the brief and the procurement, um, strategy. Then the design elements, how we, what materials we use, how we connect them together, how we install them and what we do with them when we don't need them anymore. That will, that almost falls out from getting those other sort of wraparound um, uh, strategies correct because you've created a business environment where it makes commercial sense to install materials that are low impact and use materials that can be taken out again without being damaged because you know you're going to use them somewhere else um, or you know you're going to return them to the supplier who's going to use them someone else um, and, and that's where we would start to see the impacts coming through in the, the carbon KPIs or the waste management KPIs. So actually it's a very exciting opportunity in many ways and the, the, the opportunity is there for businesses to really take the um, benefits of the circular economy throughout their entire business model, through the, throughout the entire life cycle of real estate uh, to produce better outcomes and, and, and higher value. So that's, you know, an opportunity that you would think people will want to take. If you're sitting in the leadership position and you really want to adopt the circular economy as, uh, at the heart of your, your, um, your business, you're going to need to set a vision. So how how do you, you know, with this case for a business change, how do you go about as a business leader setting a vision for your organization to adopt 
circular economy practices. Yeah, I think this is um this is where it sort of gets into the the nitty gritty of what we're of how the change that we're trying to drive here. For me again, or for us, the starting point is going to be um, building knowledge and awareness in your senior team. The starting point for this conversation is that circular economy is it's not just a sustainability issue. It's not just ESG, and it's also not just recycling. As we've talked about, it's about rewiring businesses so that they continue to create value on a completely different resource base, on a, on a significantly changed resource base. That productivity is, is completely different. So that 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 idea is, is is going to be of course relevant to and important for the sustainability director or whoever on the board has responsibility for ESG but it's going to be just as relevant for the commercial directors um the operations directors the people with 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 responsibilities for other parts of the business that 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 govern how the business uses resources um i think the second point is once you sort of got a solid base of knowledge and awareness in your own team, you need to start talking to your, your key stakeholders, your suppliers and your customers. Because if you're going to change how you're going to operate your business, um, you need to make sure that you're doing it in a way that that, that, that those two groups, upstream and downstream from you, are, are going to move with you and support you in that. And we're seeing um, in our work with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, you know, they're one of the leading um, conveners, sort of third sector NGO conveners of businesses into networks to have those kind of pre-competitive um, collaborative conversations about, I want to make a change, I'm going to make a shift, will you support me, how do we create the win-wins from this transition such that we, you know, we, we, we're, we're working together and supporting each other on this rather than competing. Um, and then I think finally, once that sort of you've started that process of engagement and collaboration and discussion is, will really start to help identify what the tangible changes or the, the early starting points would be. So once you can then start to think about your vision, you know, having a strategy document that sets out where you want to get to by 2030, um, say, that's the sort of a very common horizon by 2025 even for some organizations um, and start to ask somebody on the board to to be responsible for and have budget to deliver uh, a strategy and an implementation plan and a transformational change program that that helps across the business sort of start to change the way that you do things to to have a more circular model that's great and uh, you've mentioned plenty of examples as we've gone through I, i remember you mentioning the retail example with John Lewis and leasing of furniture, for example, Philips and their Signify venture with Light as a service. Uh, just briefly, do you just want to mention one or two other companies that you, you've seen as setting a good vision and implementing it for circular economy, particularly in the real estate and construction sector? Yeah, of course. So um, we've seen also sort of through through the EMF, um, the Al MacArthur Foundation network. You know, H&M is a global partner of, of the Al MacArthur Foundation, and they are, you know, as a fast fashion business, they are particularly sort of in people's minds when they're thinking about consumption. And um, for both their commercial goods, their clothing, and their non-commercial goods, their um, their, their, their their shop fit-outs, they're 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 sort of working on sort of. A, a pretty radical transformation program and a pretty ambitious transformation program to be be a circular business. IKEA as well also 
looking to sort of be a leader on um, consumption patterns, business models, renewable energy, those kind of things. Um, in a completely different sector, Google has, um, has, has, with the Almacarth Foundation, prepared white papers on circular economy for data centers, both the use of the racks and the, um, the equipment that, that goes in and out of the data centers from a tech point of view, but also the, the, the shell and core of those buildings. What are the services doing? How are they optimizing um, the energy use in those systems through the cooling or whatever to sort of absolutely minimize their impact? Um, and as well, I mentioned Mitsubishi, there's another great example directly in the construction supply chain from Singapore called CARE, K-A-E-R. Um, they're, they're a HVAC as a service company. So they manufacture and install systems, but they also take over systems that other organizations have put into existing buildings. And they offer a service where you pay for the chilled water, you pay for the cooling capacity. Singapore is obviously a cooling climate. You pay for that per unit, and they run everything else. So they're incentivized to minimize their energy use. They're incentivized to use IoT systems to, to anticipate problems because they lose revenue if they have downtime. Um, and their, yeah, their business model is built around running cooling systems in the most resource efficient um, and, and sort of high quality service kind of way, very customer focused. And that, that, that we're seeing that sort of having having real impact in, in Singapore. So th those are just a couple more examples. It's a, some really great examples of big companies actually really making a difference already and um, you know, trailblazing, as it were, and getting competitive advantage as a result, one, one presumes. Very briefly then, just, just to wrap up, um, having given those inspirational examples, having set out the business case uh, and the arguments for, for adopting circular practices, where, where can I turn to if I'm a, a board member or CEO? Where can I turn to for a bit of practical advice and guidance? Is there something I can go and read or watch or, or just absorb in some way that's going to take me by the hand on the first steps in this journey? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, our, <laughs> my starting point was that, well, Arup and the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, Arup are the global knowledge partner for the built environment with the foundation. And we've been working with them for over four years now on on resources and uh, um, information that can help the, this sector specifically start to adopt these these principles. So there were two reports that we've prepared specifically focused on real estate. One was called First Steps Towards a Circular Built Environment, um, which really kind of set our, our thinking on this in terms of we spoke to over 100 stakeholders around Europe and identified, you know, who needs to take those first steps and really thought that the, 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 the client, construction client and investor areas would be the key, um, key people to take the first steps. And we identified what for those first steps might be. And in realizing the value from a circular economy in real estate, we demonstrated that was published in February of this year. We demonstrated that there is a real positive business case for adopting more circular economy inspired models in real estate, be that around the residual value of materials, sort of a, a fundamental starting point, but also around the management of spaces and the, the using them more flexibly, the, making assets adaptable, changing from one use to another, and a couple of other examples. So I think those two documents are a great place to, to start. Um, Arup and BAM, uh, Royal Dutch BAM, the, the, the construction company, prepared a paper on circular business models for the supply chain in, in, in construction industry. And that introduces three business models that any supply chain business can kind of look at and think about and, and consider what the implications would be for them. 
in terms of their circular transition. And also then the, the, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation website and, and network more widely is absolutely full of talks, podcasts, broadcasts, information. Like they have a sort of a great way of, there's a lot there, but they have a great way of organizing it and helping you find your way to some of the examples I've mentioned, um, some of the sort of the, the wider context, some of the inspiration from other sectors. You know, what are Renault doing in the automotive sector about remanufacturing gearboxes? Um, what are some of the food companies doing? What are some of the textile companies doing? And so that sort of cross-sector perspective from them can maybe really help get the get the get the the juices going in 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 leaders' minds around what that would mean for their company. Who do they need to work with in order to make that change? Um, and what are the real business benefits of doing that? Thank you. And I think that's probably about all we have time for. So. Um, a real great introduction there to the topic, to the opportunities from the circular economy, uh, and point us to, to some great resources that we'll also highlight um, on the website. So I just want to thank our speaker today, uh, Richard Boyd, Senior Engineer at Arup, and um, thank you to everyone that's listened to this World Built Environment Forum podcast on the circular economy, and please look out for further podcasts and webinars in our series. Thank you to everyone who's listened.